0: We're going to be late. we got to get going. Put your shoes on. What do you mean you don't know where the other shoe is? I told you to find the other shoe 20 minutes ago. That's what my kids say to me every morning. (laughs) Oh, I should have left the house sooner. Oh, I can't believe the traffic. What's wrong with this guy? Oh, why do I live in Boston? Why do all these people live in Boston? (laughs) We should never have agreed to do this. We should never have agreed to go. We, we, we hardly know them. I don't even know what this is. Is this a party? Is this is a gathering? Do people actually celebrate this? People are celebrating way too many things. I, we don't have time for this. Stop. For one moment, just, just, just stop. I, I, I cannot add another thing on my list. Please, just, just stop. Any of that feel familiar? I mean, like I, I have, I feel like I'm giving you a headache just, just reciting the inner monologue that we all have to ev- every week. Tonight, I want to invite you to consider a few things, and, and the first thing I want for you to consider is that there is more to be found in not chasing it all. There is more to be found in not chasing it all. I mean, ask yourself when somebody asks you how your summer is going or how you're doing, how many times do you begin by saying, I'm just so busy. You know, I, I thought things would have slowed down by now, but, but man, I, I'm just busy. And, and I know I say this all the time and I probably will say it after the service tonight when you ask me how my summer is going even though I just preached that. And, and I, I can feel, I can feel this and I want to give a different answer but I also feel inauthentic if I do give a different answer because I feel too busy, probably like all, if not most of you, right? There's more to be found in not chasing at all. Well, I also want to commend you for being here tonight. You have stopped and you have come to worship. Bless you, bless you. You came to learn more about the life-giving scriptures that we, were, that we are going to talk about tonight. You came to remember the wisdom that, that you may have forgotten a little bit along the way. And you've also come to confront and to resist the lies that the world keeps giving us. And instead, you've come to receive the word of truth from the Lord. So good for you for being here. I mean that. Here's the dilemma. I mean, here's a bit of how we got here. Many of us were told at a very, very young age and a very impressionable age that the harder we work, the, the more we will have in life, right? The better you do at school, the more talents that you discover and and nurture and explore and develop, The, the ability to connect with others. This will mean that you will get into a good school, you'll have a good job, you'll have a nice family and a nice home and you do all the stuff that you want to do. The more you do, the better life will be and then, wait for it, and then you will be happy. Oh, we're not happy. I mean, we're not completely depressed either. We're tired. Many of us are exhausted, drained, empty, just just trying to get to the next fuel stop. And is that what life is? That That we go from one pit stop to the next just so we can get refueled a little bit and run as fast as we can around the track again? I hope not. I hope not. We're tired of chasing all the tasks and tired of the to-do list, tired of the driving and and the cashiers and and, and, and tired of meeting all the performance expectations and listening to that voice inside your head that says, we haven't done enough yet, or you are not enough yet. Or if you do this one more thing, things will be better. If you do this too, things will get better. Did our parents lie? Did our teachers and our mentors, did they lie? Did did these influencers lie to us when they said, the more you do, the better life will be? I mean, is the opposite true? I mean, imagine a loving parent or a teacher or a mentor saying to a young soul, hey, don't worry about applying yourself. Don't worry about studying hard. Don't worry about trying to figure out how to get along with people and discovering your talents and strengths. Life is inevitably going to fail you and disappoint you. I mean, I, I don't want those people around my kids. I don't even want those people around me. That's terrible advice. Of course, working hard and forming healthy habits of diligence and, and, and focusing and, and of study and of preparation and of execution, all these are needed tools for, for successful living. I mean, the lack of them will certainly impair you. But that skill set does not always necessarily give you joy. It does not necessarily give you peace and meaning. It's what we do with our life. It's, it's, what, it's how we apply these things. It's about what we're chasing. I really like this sermon series that we're finishing up, The Chase, because I feel it. I I hope you feel it too. It feels very practical and very needed. Pastor Tom introduced the series a few weeks ago, calling out our disordered loves. And, And then Pastor Jeanette preached about worry and finding false security in money and possessions. Last week, Pastor Dave Ripper talked about the grip of great and how to deal with ambition and that drive for success. All these were timely messages, and, and especially for our hurried souls. This week, as we bring an end to our series, by design, we wanted the first three weeks to be sort of the what not to do, okay? So the disordered loves, the not worry about possessions and, 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 and the grip of great and that idea. And a few moments ago, we, I even said, there's more to be found in not chasing it all but those are incomplete. Today we wanna to ask ourselves, so what, what do we chase? Or who do we chase? That sentence needs finishing. We need to chase the portion and the life God has for each of us. That's where we're going tonight. We need to chase the portion and the life God has for each of us. So this is like a proactive conclusion if you will. And we wanna look at the life-giving words of Psalm 16. So we're gonna put them on the screen. If you have a Bible or if you have a, a device that you, you'd like to read that from, feel free to do that. But Psalm 16, it's good stuff. It says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who, who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with the joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen. So good. I love this first verse. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I, 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 that's a really easy verse to memorize and maybe this week that's something that you might say to yourself. You might, you might pray out loud to the Lord in, in a time of need. Keep me safe, my God, in you I take my refuge. You are my Lord, apart from you I have no good thing. We believe this is David writing this and, and depending on, 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 on how you think of David, you, you either think of him as like this old king you know, kind of just like, you know, sipping tea and writing psalms, or you think of him as this young man, you know, after he just beheaded Goliath type of a thing. We think the context, according to the commentaries uh, that I trust for this passage, uh, we think this is more of David as, as, as a young man on the run, meaning David is not in the palace, writing these things, surrounded by armed guards, sipping tea and writing poetry. No, 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 David is on the run maybe riding in a cave, maybe not knowing that that last sound that he heard is, 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 is an advancing soldier trying to take his life. You see, David is on the run from King Saul. They were buddies, he was, serving, he was serving for him, and then the Lord called David to do this and Saul to do that, and Saul chose a path of pride and selfishness, and the Lord removed his anointing from Saul, and he gave it to David and called David to be the next king. And so Saul thought that he could stop this by killing David. And so he sent his men after him. So David is on the run. David is, is not knowing if he's going to see tomorrow. He's trusting in faith that he is, but he doesn't know. And he writes these words, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I mean, doesn't that feel totally different knowing that this guy is not writing it from a palace surrounded by by his own soldiers. He's got skin in the game. Then there's these, these two verses, three and four, I save the holy people who are in the land. They are the noble ones in whom is in all my delight. And here David is contrasting verses three and four, the nobles from the idolaters, those who run after other gods, those who are chasing after other things. And he's saying they will suffer. They will suffer. And then he comes on to this key verse that, that, that I, hope, I hope resonates with you and sticks with you for, for a long time. And I hope it's familiar to you. Verse five, it says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. I mean, doesn't that feel beautiful? Doesn't that feel spiritual? Doesn't that feel faithful? Isn't this the type of Christian that you want to be? And then you think about it for a little bit. The Lord is my portion. And you keep thinking about this. And you start wondering, well, tell me more about this portion though. I mean, how how big is it? I mean, will it satisfy me? I'm being honest, I'm not the most easily satisfied person in the world. So this portion of yours, is it, is it good? And what's in this cup? Because there's a lot of things I don't really like. And there's a lot of things that I do like instead. And I know these are just metaphors. But is this, is this going to disappoint? Will God's portion for me really be enough? We doubt, don't we? We doubt if this portion of this cup will really be enough. We doubt God if he really knows what we really desire, if if God really has our best interests at heart. We wonder if God's portion really just means the minimum. I mean, God feeds the birds in the air, we're always told, and that sounds so wonderful if you're not a bird. I mean, do you know what these birds eat? I'm a human. I like Chipotle. If the Bible has said God feeds his people chipotle and they never run out, I'd be like, this is great. The portion will probably be enough. But it doesn't say that. Not not even synonymous with it. You know, it probably started off in church when when you were a child. How many people like grew up going to church, like children's church and VBS church and all of that? Okay, give or take half the room. Give or take. All right, bless you. I remember being in VBS one week and I asked for extra goldfish because and I'm not even like, you know, like I just wanted extra goldfish, okay? I don't even have like an insatiable appetite. I just just like, I just wanted some goldfish. And the VBS teacher, bless her heart, said no. (laughs) If I give you goldfish, I have to give everybody else extra goldfish. And we're talking about goldfish. And in my little mind, I, I, I couldn't help but like, like, man, this is church where they don't give you extra goldfish when you ask for it. Uh, and and I, I don't think I consciously thought this, but I, I wonder now if, if there was like a reflection that I put on God, a projection that I put on God as a result of that, right? God gives the minimum. Is, is this how God is? Like, like here's your blessing. Be content with that. This is your portion. I spent a good amount of time in, in all my sermons trying to challenge people's assumptions about God. And tonight I wanna to ask you, is, is this part of your understanding of God? Is, is God small? Is God limited? Is God unsympathetic? Is God too institutional? Does your vision of God resemble more like the cafeteria lunch lady grudgingly scooping out soggy mashed potatoes and saying, here's your portion. Be blessed. (laughs) Be content. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. I mean, we're afraid that we're going to be duped. We're going to be fooled by, by, by this type of biblical language. And so we, we chase down our own roots, right? We build our own kitchens and, and we, we, we construct our own menus and, and we try to provide for our, ourselves our own portions that we believe that will satisfy us. Because who knows me best? Not God, me. Oh, you know what? When you, when you say it out loud, it sounds really foolish, doesn't it? Who knows me best? The foundational theme of our sermon series is is about chasing contentment. Contentment, that's another fun word. And by fun, I mean not fun. Contentment. I mean, I was one of those giving Pastor Tom a hard time about contentment. Let's not call the series contentment. We're trying to get people to come to church. Come hear a whole series on contentment. I mean, Nah, I didn't know if they were going to like be busting down the doors for contentment, right? So the chase was 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 the uh, was what Pastor Tom came up with, and it depends what we mean about contentment. If contentment means that minimum, this, this 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 mediocre portion that we have to we have to be satisfied with, that that feels like manipulation, and I don't want that. You don't want that. But if contentment means something different, if contentment means that. Th- the true thing that will satisfy, the true thing that will endure, the true thing that will enrich. Oh, oh, now we're talking. I want, I, I want to discover what contentment looks, looks like in that world. The irony is that we, the chase that we we come up with leaves us often with all these other undesirable moments, the things that we chase after, often leaves us with all these undesirable moments. It often leaves us lacking, leaves us drained, leaves us empty, and leaves us exhausted. But being content in God's portion is different. And we're gonna come back to that in the end. I feel like it's time for an illustration here.